Hey there, this is Emily Hoover, and we are so glad that you are listening to the Mission Point Community Church podcast. It's our prayer that this helps you grow in your relationship with Jesus and encourages you to show and share the love of Jesus everywhere you go. Thanks for tuning in. Now let's dive into the message. This morning, I have the privilege of starting a journey through the Old Testament book of Jonah. And uh, man, we are so, so excited um, to, to walk, to journey, uh, to learn to, together. Uh, Jonah is one of those characters who is um, pretty well known even outside of religious and church circles. Whether you follow Jesus or you don't, whether you've grown up in the church or you haven't, you've most likely heard something about this character Uh, Jonah, and um, just a universally known biblical character. And a poor guy, that's not necessarily because of something really epic he said or some mighty conquest that he carried out in his life. No, it's because that dude was swallowed by a fish one time. And uh, you don't get to be protein for a fish, live to talk about it, um, and not have that kind of spread around Um, a little bit, but um, man, I would suspect that if Jonah could speak to us, he would say, hey, listen, there is so much more to me and so much more to my story than the fact that I got swallowed by a massive sea creature um, at one point in my life, and he would be right. In the next number of weeks, we get to spend some time just doing one of the things we love to do here at Mission Point, just work our way through a book of the Bible ask questions of the word of God and let the word of God ask questions of us. And we are so, so thrilled um, to do that. Like what led up to Jonah being swallowed by a massive fish? Uh, What happened after he got swallowed by the fish? And what's Jonah's general perspective about sushi after the fish uh, situation. Um, What does this seemingly sci-fi fiction Hollywood story have to do with us in Indiana 2024? So welcome to Jonah, Grace Overboard. If you have a copy of the Bible, we would encourage you, hey, join us in Jonah chapter one. If you don't have a copy of the Bible, um, you see the verses will appear up here on the screen. And by the way, if you don't own a physical Bible, we love giving those things away. The Word of God, it will change you. It is life. Um, and if, if you don't own a physical copy, just ask anybody who seems like they know um, what they're doing. Head to the Connection Corner, head to Guest Services. would love to hand you um, a Bible, our gift Um, to you. Jonah chapter 1. We're going to start reading and uh, we'll pause to make observation, ask some questions, and um, perhaps let the scripture ask some questions of us as we work our way through the first um, six verses. Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. Here's what it says. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Um, All right, we'll pause right there. Um, we, um, we meet the central human character of the story uh, without necessarily learning too much um, about him. Um, and yet this quick phrase tells us quite a little bit about Jonah that's helpful as we get into this story. For instance, by telling us that Jonah is the son of um, Amittai, it, it's the Bible's way of distinguishing Jonah from every other Jonah who lived in history. Not that Jonah, that Jonah, the son of Amittai. So a couple of things about him. I mean, he is an Israelite. Jonah is um, an Israelite. He's a Jewish man whose name means dove from the town of Gath Hefer, if you're into geography, in, in, in the nation of Israel, close to Nazareth, where Jesus would walk about 750 years after him or so. Um, Joseph, he's a, I mean, Jonah is a prophet, um, um, and that just means that he is tasked by heaven to carry messages on God's behalf, and usually the gist of those messages are, um, repent from your rebellion, 
turn from your rebellion to repentance. And Jonah was a man tasked with the messages from God to speak to the nation of Israel and some of the surrounding nations, usually inviting them, turn from your rebellion and repent. Like an ambassador for God, if you will. Uh, when the story starts, Jonah has just received fresh word from the God of the universe himself. It doesn't say exactly how Jonah uh, received the word from the Lord, but man, there is no mistake that God has spoken to Jonah. And throughout the course of this story, God is going to speak to Jonah on a number of occasions directly and clearly, meaning at no point is there any confusion in Jonah's mind that God has spoken. At no point does Jonah require any interpretation about what God has spoken. It is direct and it is very clear. In fact, um, on one occasion, he's actually going to have a back and forth conversation with God with no one around, which seems to suggest when God speaks to Jonah, he speaks to him audibly, like I'm talking to you. Woo! That would be crazy. Crazy. I mean, what does the voice of God sound like when he speaks audibly? Does he have like a, a holy accent? Is there like a heavenly twang to it? Is it bassy? Um, what does it sound like when God speaks? By learning that God speaks to Jonah and in this particular moment has sent fresh word to Jonah, most likely in an audible sense, we can't help but suspect that Jonah is a God-chasing dude, a dude who pursues God. Um, I'm just saying I cannot think of a person in the Bible who heard clearly from God apart from walking closely with God. Seems like Jonah is a man who walks with a kind of pace and walks in the kind of posture that positions him to be close enough to clearly hear from God whatever that sound. Like. By the way, I'm curious to know if you would describe yourself that way, as a God chaser, as somebody who, who walks at a pace and in a posture that positions you to hear clearly from God. I'm curious to know if you even believe God still speaks. I'm curious to know if you've heard from God and what it sounded like. Was it a whisper? I'd be so curious to know if you walk closely enough to, to recognize when God may be speaking or not speaking. I'm curious to know if you maybe say, no, nah, I believe God has said everything that he has to say in the Bible, in his word, and that is more than enough. I don't know. I, again, the questions that will emerge as we work our way through this story. Are you walking in a posture and at a pace? That positions you to hear from God. Do you want to hear God speak to you? In the church circles, I hear a lot of us say, oh, that's amazing. God spoke to Jonah. I wish God would speak to me. Would that be you? Are you keen to hear God speak to you, whatever that looks like? In either case, God speaks to Jonah clearly. And directly, verse number two, here's what he says. Go to the great city of Nineveh. Uh, the, the language there is get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. Woo. Jonah! Go and preach a message of doom to the great city of Nineveh. I have seen their wickedness, and I'm not about it. And if they don't stop, I will take them out. The word of the Lord. I read that, and I was like, okay, um, psych. 
Because, uh, um, do I really want God to speak to me? I don't know. Um, here's the reality. Um, if, if you're like me, then you are like, God, speak to me. Talk to me, God, but talk to me nice. Speak to me, but <laughs> don't say that. Speak to me, but make it sound like my voice and tell me the kinds of things that I want to hear about the kind of life that I want to live. This is, this is a little bit startling. And as I read this, I'm like, wait a minute, you know the reality is I don't know that I really want to hear from God. Let's be honest. What I want is for God to tell me what I want to hear, when I want to hear. Speak to me, God, but please say yes. Speak to me, God, but please tell me the date of my engagement. Speak to me, God. Tell me which stock to buy, which bet to place. Please, Lord. And we'll say things like, God, God, doesn't, um, God doesn't speak to. And it's fascinating because God knows whether I really want to hear his voice or whether I just want to be his ventriloquist. Not to mention in our context, speak to me, God, speak to me. God is like, um, I have said about 66 books worth of things to you and you've not done too much about, no, I want the fresh revelation though. I don't want the general speaking for everybody. I want you to speak a unique and special word to me. Oh, wait a minute. Let me get this straight. So if I speak to you specially, then you do it. But if I speak to you, in, then you won't. God, don't mess with me. You don't want me to speak to you. You want me to say the kinds of things you want to hear when you want to hear them for your convenience. Because look at what he says to Jonah. And I'm like... No, you can give me the silent treatment on that, God. Thank you. Go preach against the wickedness of Nineveh. Nineveh. Wow. Uh, Nineveh was the capital city of the Assyrian Empire. The Assyrian Empire was the undisputed superpower um, of the day, utterly daunting and impressive, both in its size and in its um, population. I mean, I'm just, if the God of the universe refers to Nineveh as that great city, you know it is an astonishing place. Nineveh, the Assyrian capital, more powerful this nation than any of the other nations. In fact, more powerful than the other nations combined at this particular time. But as all striking as it may have been, their power was not what they were most known for. Their power did not compare with their absolute cruelty. The Assyrians were savages, and that is putting it mildly. They were known for inventing new and creative ways to be barbaric, and they prided themselves in making people suffer in the most extreme ways imaginable. And they would do it for sport. And for 250 or so years, they led this massive reign of terror that one historian referred to as gory and blood-curling a history as we have known. 
Now, I've wrestled with this because I, 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 I understand that there's going to be different sensitivities in the room. And so I want to try and be delicate, but I also want to try and give us a sense that will help us in the context of this story to understand what God has asked Jonah to do. The Ninevites, for sport, would dismember their enemies, but they would leave a hand so that they would force that person to give them a congratulatory handshake right before they died, just for the fun of it. After they killed a person, they would oftentimes um, impale their head and then force their family or loved ones to carry it around the city just for the sport of it. They would skin people by stretching them slowly until the skin was removed, and then they would display those skins around the city just for the sport of it. Men, they would emasculate men alive, and then they would burn their children and make them watch it just for the fun of it. And because they loved it so much, they loved reliving their morbidity, they were masters at documenting what they did, making sure it spread around the world and struck horror in the souls of everyone who heard about them. And they also wanted to make sure that their legacy was passed on to their kids so they can carry on that tradition in which they did 250 years of one finding more and more morbid ways to torture the people for the fun of it. And if you visited the great city of Nineveh, you couldn't miss it. Their cruelty was their art. It's how they decorated their city with death and torture and evil. Ninevites were the most vicious and violent people on the planet. Oh, and they hated the Jews. As the story starts, God has had enough of their vile practices, and he's on the verge of destroying the Assyrian Empire, in particular the capital, its headquarters in Nineveh. So he speaks to Jonah, this Jewish man, and tells him, you're up. March into the great city of Nineveh. Tell them to quit their cruelty or I will take them out. Uh, say what now, Lord? Can we maybe stop speaking now? I wish I wasn't hearing so clearly from you in this moment. But God was as direct and clear as he usually was with Jonah. Go tell the scariest, most powerful, most violent empire who hate you, that I'm going to send judgment because of their evil actions unless they turn. Go on. Walk past all of their decorations and art and deliver the message that I have given. I just wanted to share that context in case we are tempted to judge Jonah for what he does next. Verse number three, but Jonah ran away from the Lord and he headed from Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, it says he went aboard and he sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Oh, Jonah ran for his life. Nope. Oh, I hear what you said, Lord. 
because your voice is clear to me. There's no mistaking what you just told me to do. And you know my posture is usually yes, but I'm going to have to go with a strong no, hard pass, count me out, not today. I will do anything for love, but I won't do that. Jonah straight refuses to do what God told him to do, and he runs away from the Lord. He literally runs as far away as he could possibly go in the opposite direction. God tells him, get up and go. And the Bible says, Jonah gets up and he flees. God says, go up to Nineveh. Jonah goes down to Joppa, and then he goes down onto a ship, and then he sails down to Tarshish. He is doing the complete opposite as far far away from what God told him to do as is possible. He takes a 2,500-mile trip, trip in the opposite direction to Tarshish, the, the outermost edge of the Mediterranean world. I'm just saying, can we be honest? Sorry, Lord, and just admit, like, I kind of get it. Like, if I'm honest, I kind of get that. If I'm honester, if Jonah were a friend of mine and he shared the situation with me, I'll be like, sometimes you got to do what you got to do, bro. Because from the little you know about the Assyrians, let's just be reasonable people. If Jonah, this Jewish man, marches up into Nineveh and he delivers this message, hey, y'all, um, I represent the one true God. And uh, he wanted me to come and tell y'all that if you don't cut out this cruelty, torturing nonsense that you've been on, he is going to destroy your city and shut down your entire empire. Okay. So, reasonably speaking, what would you suspect the Assyrian response to this would be? Right. Well, you have nice skin, right? I don't see this going well, and neither does Jonah. I get why Jonah would run. But let's, um, let's uh, take a, a step out of reason for a moment and assume they hear what Jonah has to say. They take the Lord's warning, and they turn from their sin and their cruelty to God. Jonah supposed to go back home? I'm sorry, Jonah. Tell us that again. What? You carried the message to help those barbarians get in good with our God? You did that? Do, do you not know who they are? Do you not know what they did to her grandma? Do you not care what they do to children? Jonah, God asks Jonah to do something that puts him between a rock and a hard place in a lose-lose situation, a catch-22. Worst case scenario, that dude loses his life. Best case scenario, that dude loses the people he loves. And Jonah is like, nope, I'm going to play it safe, and I am going to run. Man, that is so helpful to think about in our own stories. Because isn't that usually why we run from the Lord? 
life and love. I understand exactly what God has called me to do, but I am choosing not to do it because I cannot risk losing that thing that makes me feel most alive. I hear loud and clear what God has said to do, but I cannot lose risking the relationships that make me feel most loved, most accepted most embraced, most included. If I stop doing the thing God says I should stop doing, I will lose those friends. Love. Mm -mm. I mean, we know what the right thing to do is, but if we do things the right way, do you know how much more money that's going to cost? It's not going to be as economical and money. We love our money. If I tell my family what God has said I should say, That is instant rejection. I'm going to be disinvited from everything. And I don't know that I'm willing to risk that. Man, if I come clean about this addiction, if I stop feeding this addiction, even though I know it is sinful, I'm terrified that I will lose the thing that makes me feel most alive. When I need to feel alive, this is the thing I run to. I can't see myself without my regular porn and payoff routine that I have in my life. If I leave this job to do what I know God has been calling me to do, I'm right there. My benefits are right there. That gives me security for life. It it may not be life and death, but it is feeling like I can actually live my life in the ways that matter. Man, if I don't play this sexual game, I will end up alone. It's just the way dating relationships work these days. Everybody's doing it. Sorry, God. I'm just saying, before we judge Jonah hardcore, can we admit that we get it? We run when life or love is threatened and the belief is, I just stand to lose too much. And it seems like I gain more in that direction. And so, God, I'm sorry. I love what it gives me and the life that it promises, and I feel like I'm going to lose it or risk it if I move in this direction. So I'm going to take my chances and just hope it works out, which raises the question, are you running? Oh, and before you think Tarshish, because I'll read a story like this and I'm like, whoa, that was extreme. Jonah, Tarshish? Um, That's a long way to run. I would never. I may do like a cha-cha slide, but I'm never run like that. Let me make very clear. In fact, we'll put it up on the screen. Running is not so much about the distance, it's about the direction. And we need to know the distance doesn't matter. Anytime I choose to take any step in a direction away from something that God has clearly said, I am running. And if we're not careful, we will start to say, no, they're running. Look how far they went. And we'll miss the ways that we are running 
just by virtue of the fact that God has said something to me and I've resisted it and I've moved in the opposite direction. So let me ask again, are you running? Is there any area in which you are deliberately choosing to do or to keep doing something other than what God has clearly said to you, however he has clearly said it? And I know, just like Jonah, no, 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 no. You don't understand how unique my situation is. If you knew the Ninevites, you would get this, and you would say, sometimes you got to do what you got to do, bro. If you understood the loneliness that I experience as I watch everybody else in their little relationships posting, you would understand why I'm making the kinds of choices this is. My running is cute and unique and very special. No, if you understood what they did to me, you would understand why I'm running in the direction away from forgiving them. No, you got to understand, I'm not going to Tarshish. I'm not being mean. I'm, I'm not like slashing tires or anything like that. It is just a little unforgiveness in my heart. Are you running? No, if you understood the, 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 the passionlessness of my marriage, then you would understand the, the decisions that I'm making if, if, you, if you understood. Are you running? not the distance, the direction. And the running is always deliberate. Listen to me. When we talk about this, I'm not asking you about something you don't know. I'm asking you about the thing that you know about. And even as I speak about it, the Spirit of God will remind you, mm-hmm. there is that thing that you insist on doing, but you know. There's going to be so much irony in this story, beautiful irony. Um, even in this, this section of scripture we'll look at, you see a few ironic things. Like you could do a study of just the ironies in the book of Jonah as far as I'm, I keep seeing so many of them. But here's one of them. It's a powerful irony here in the story because this is when we realize, again, running is just rebellion by a different name. This is when we realize Jonah is just Assyria by a different name. Let me rephrase. Running is not so much about distance, it's about direction. And we'll put this up on the screen. Similarly, running is not so much about degree, it's about disregard. Ironic. Because Jonah would say, what? I am not barbaric. I would never do something like that. Something to that degree. And this is another reminder. You and the Ninevites are doing the same thing. You are running, moving in a direction away from what God has said. And the church likes to play the extreme games. But I didn't go that far, but I didn't do something that bad, but mine is not. I would never do something like that to another human being. And God is saying running is just rebellion by a different name. What it would take for the Ninevites is exactly what it would take for you. God doesn't care whether you're Jonah or Nineveh. Running is rebellion. And the message to Jonah is the same message to Nineveh. Stop and turn. Now. The message is the same message to us. Stop running and return. Now.
no shame, no indictment in this. I love, <laughs> I, I, I cannot even tell you how much I love the reminder that even the godliest people run sometimes. Jonah is running. Jonah! Oh, we understand the Ninevites running. But if I admit that I'm running, what does that say about me? Everybody runs sometimes. That's not the question. The question is, are you running? And if so, is there the willingness to turn and return? So gracious is our God. Verse number four. Um, then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. Um, we need to just stop trying to defend God if we aren't sure about him. We need to just stop with a God would never um, statements that we make, because sometimes he does. There are things in your life and in the world around you that are shaking and falling apart. They are threatening to crumble. Um, God did it. There may be storms in your life right now. God sent them. He would never. No? We love to do that, to, to make disclaimers and to defend God so we can keep him a certain kind of God, very palatable to everybody, and then we struggle to it. It couldn't be. It, if we don't know, we just need to stop. Sometimes he does, like right here. Sometimes he will send a storm to chase down a runner. Storms of grace. And I love that here. The goal isn't to destroy Jonah. It's to direct him. Oh, you want to see another irony? <laughs> Jonah, get up and go and take my message to the Ninevites and tell them to turn. Jonah's like, mm, not today, and he runs. God's like, okay, hey, Storm, get up and go and send a message of grace to Jonah. Tell him to turn and run. Storm understands the assignment, reports for duty, and does the thing that Jonah was supposed to be doing. And it comes to prophesy grace and invite him back. How ironic. Jesus will sometimes say stuff like that. Y'all can praise her. Y'all cannot praise her. You get fired and we'll get the rocks to cry out. This is so ironic that the storm ends up doing what Jonah would not. And I'm just asking, are there storms in your life that God has sent to redirect you? And you have been reaching for every other explanation why all of a sudden tension and turmoil has entered into your world and you cannot explain it and you have tried everything else and I'm just asking you, would you consider, is it possible that that thing in your life that feels like it is breaking you, shaking you, and it is tumultuous, is it possible that God sent a storm? Because sometimes he does. health, and you can't explain why. Is it possible? You can play, feel like me, as many rain sounds as you want at night, but you cannot get to sleep. It might be a storm. 
every relationship you have seems like it's drama and tension and fighting and, and arguments and, and things just don't, it might be a storm. She broke things off unexpectedly and it feels like your life is falling apart. It might be a storm. You just feel a sense of just lingering misery and you can't get happy, you know, and it just feels like it might be a storm. And in this day and age, who would actually find it offensive to think about things that way? Because no, there might be a lot of gracious... When you study the New Testament, even in the book of James, when the elders would come to somebody's home to pray for them, one of the first things they would want to know is, are you running from God in any area? Let's start there. And it's fascinating when the, the people in this boat who don't know God eventually talk to Jonah, their beginning point is, is there something spiritual happening here? I'm just asking, is it possible that God in his grace has sent a storm to redirect? Unemployment and work just doesn't seem to be going. Things that used to work well don't seem to work well, and it just feels like tumultuous, and I cannot get my footing. Might it be a storm? I don't know. How can I tell? I don't know either, but one place to start. Is there an area you know you are running from God and you will not stop? You will not turn. You're just hoping it takes care of itself. Turn and return to God and see what happens with the storm. Is it a great storm? I don't know. Turn and find out. And then the story just teaches us a, a number of things. Um, reasons to turn. I mean, number one, running is foolish. Um, running from God is, is just foolish. It's just crazy. If, if there's a lesson in Jonah's life, running is foolish. And we'll put this up on the screen. Listen, it will not work. You will not win. It is not worth it. Now, it might seem like you're good for a while. Like Jonah's like, I'm fine. Look at me. Walking, crip walking all the way to Joppa. It's fine. Jumped on the ship, had the cash. It's fine. I'm, I'm, he's even going to go down. Take a nap. It's fine. Nineveh, for 250 years, they're like, it's fine. We're doing exactly what we want to do, exactly the way we want to do it. It may seem fine for a while. But this story is a reminder It won't work out. God will invite you to stop, and then he will eventually stop you. And the question is, do I choose to cooperate while there's still time? I wonder if there's an area in your life in which you know, even as I speak, God is warning you to quit it or else. Um, I wonder if there's a place in your life where you know God is calling you to turn and return to him by his incredible grace. Running from God is foolish, and running from God is futile. It's fascinating. The phrase for running here says that Jonah, uh, he got up and he ran from the presence of the Lord. How funny is that? Well, it's funny when it's somebody else doing it, but... How does the psalmist say? Look at this, Psalm 139. He says, where can I go from your spirit, God? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heaven, well, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, well, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, or even, even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely, the darkness will hide me in and the light will become night around me. Even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. I'm going to hide in the darkness, God. I'm going to run into the darkness. And God's like, I have night goggles. 
You can't run from God, run from the presence of God. How? <laughs> it's futile to flee from the presence of an omnipresent God. Where are you going to go, peekaboo? That's exactly what we're doing. I'm running from God. He can't see me. It is so dumb. I'm sorry. And we do this all the time. We're like, um, that's it. I'm done with God. I'm running from God. I'm not going to church. I'm staying home. Well, he can't see you there. I'm done with God. I'm not praying. I'm, 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 I'm not doing my devotions. I'm not reading the Bible. I'm going to lock him out of my mind and my thoughts. I'm going to stay out of the closet, you know, my prayer thing. And I'm not going to do it anymore. Like, all right. Right? And it just reminds us, where, what ship are you going to get on? And where are you going to go that God cannot call a storm? Where God cannot show up? It's futile to run. The invitation is so beautiful from a God who says, I can see you. I was tempted to play a clip. There are these two guys. I don't even what, like, Secret and joy or something. If you've seen them, you know. There's these dumb guys on social media who do these ridiculous magic tricks that they <laughs> it's so bad. Like it is, you know, he'll hold a cloth and his other guy's standing behind it and then he'll move it and the guy's hiding behind something. Everybody can see it. And it's just the most hilarious thing. Just if you have time to waste, don't waste it on that. But um, it is, it reminded me so much of this, the way we do this from God, we're going to hide and you're not going to see us and we're going to escape and you're not going to find us. And it's such a reminder of the futility of God if he invites you to return to him. Verse number five, all of the sailors were afraid and each cried out to their own God as they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below the deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. This is just a reminder. Can I just pause and say, when you choose to run from God, it doesn't just affect you. The people in your world start to pay a price. And these guys are literally throwing cargo that doesn't even belong to them into the sea. It is a costly thing. And I'm just curious to know, like, is your life and is your presence bringing beauty and blessing in the world around you, or is it costing collateral because of the choices you're making? Verse number six, the captain went to him, to Jonah, and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he would take notice of us so that we will not perish. So ironic, so ironic. This pagan is prophesying to the prophet. He says exactly what God said to him in the first place. Get up and go. Go back to your God. It is amazing how gracious God is and how many different ways he will send word to call us back when we are running. This is grace. Listen to me. If God's agenda was to crush and to hurt you, he would have done that by now. If you are still seeing storms and you're still hearing the invitation, this is God's grace saying, return to me. Return to me. And we know that life and love are not found in running. Life and love are not found in reasoning things out. Life and love are found in the person of Jesus Christ who said, I came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. It is found in staying close to him and, and walking in the places he calls us to go. I'm the person who's like, yeah, but I don't see how it will work out. That's not your job. My job is to trust Jesus who says, no, 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 no. My agenda is life and life to the full. And the love that you are looking for is found in me. This is not God saying, come back to me, to a place of captivity so I can bring you harm. This is God saying, Jonah, come back to a place of grace and life and love. In fact, Jonah's going to say in later verses, the person who runs from God and who clings to worthless idols forfeits the grace that God offers. When Jonah's eyes are open, it's like, what am I doing? Life and fullness are found in Jesus, even when he calls us into scary places. 
Like, I don't know how that's going to work out. Jesus is like, I'll be with you, fourth man in the fire. And I will give you life and I will give you joy and I will give you all of the love that you could possibly need. The reason I'm saying that is because right now, the invitation on the table is for us to return in places that we may be running from God. And listen, 2024 is a year in which we believe God is calling us to be prophetic, to be ambassadors, carrying the message of his love into the world around us. But first, God is going to call his church to return to him in the areas in which we're running. Stop running. Come back to me. I will fill you with love and joy, and then I will send you out with a message. A message, by the way, of the perfect Jonah. Jesus Christ himself. When God looked at us and he saw the wickedness and the sin and the brokenness in our lives, he said, would you get up and go? And Jesus said, I'll go. And he ran towards us. Oh, hang on a second, Jesus, but you've got to know that um, <laughs> best case scenario, if this thing works out, you will be rejected by God and you will be rejected by people and you will be torn, stretched apart. You will die, best case scenario. Jesus says, yep. For a little bit, but then life. But then life. And in the beautiful story of the gospel, Jesus came down. Came down to earth. And he went onto the cross, went down into the grave in order to bring us life. And we get to experience that life as we return to him, and we get to carry the message of that life to the world around us? What's he saying to you? Where is he inviting you to run in his directions? Father, thank you for your immense grace. Sometimes through gracious whispers, sometimes through storms, sometimes through um, sermons, sometimes through uh, just your spirit stirring. But we pray that by your grace, you would allow each of us to return in areas that we may be running. You have life and love that you want to lavish on us. And I just pray that we would say yes to that. And then you launch us out into the world around us. We commit ourselves to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much for tuning in to today's message. We hope to see you next Sunday. We would love to personally invite you to one of our services at 9 and 1045 a.m. in the Performing Arts Center in Warsaw Community High School at One Tiger Lane in Warsaw, Indiana. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please make sure to subscribe, review, and connect with us on social media by following Mission Point CC. You can also contribute to what God is doing through Mission Point. Simply visit missionpoint.net slash give and give a gift today. Thanks again for joining us. Have a great week.